0: Hello, I'm Paul Feldman, and you're listening to The Revolution Will Not Be podcast, brought to you by the Real Democracy Movement. We're fast approaching the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has reshaped the international order, and, it's fair to say, led to a crisis in many sections of the traditional left and labor movement. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by the eminent human rights academic and activist, Professor Bill Baring, to discuss Ukraine. Bill is Professor of Human Rights and International Law at Birkbeck College, University of London, President of the European Lawyers for Democracy and Human Rights, and International Secretary of the Hauden Society of Socialist Lawyers. He has represented applicants before the European Court of Human Rights in many cases, including against Russia. Bill has acted as an expert and consultant for the United Nations and the Council of Europe. He's also a trustee of lawyers for Palestinian human rights. Bill, you, you oppose Russia's invasion of Ukraine from the start. Why did you take that position?
1: Well, of course, uh, the start was uh, 2014 when Russia illegally annexed uh, Crimea. And uh, all along, um, <clears throat> this has been uh, two questions. First of all, I'm a lawyer. And Russia is engaging in an absolutely egregious violation of international law of the un charter and the un charter does signify something uh, but then politically um it is imperialism and i get we'll talk about this a bit later but uh, i get really angry with people who say that this is somehow something to do with nato um because uh I think back to when I started taking cases against Russia at the European Court of Human Rights, uh, right back when Putin became acting uh, president, um, so quite a long time ago. That was a colonial war. And actually, uh, what Russia is engaged in is imperialism of a kind which threatens actually not just Ukraine, but territories which were historically part of the Russian Empire.
0: So why do you think the Kremlin decided to launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year? I mean, I understand that it began with Crimea. um, But why do you think they decided to launch a full-scale invasion? Well, this
1: was Putin, uh, who is normally indecisive and a ditherer. And I think it's uh, really instructive to watch and listen to his speech of the 21st of February immediately before the invasion, uh, where he said very little about NATO, but said a great deal about Lenin. And Vladimir Ilyich Lenin has been Putin's absolute bugbear uh, for many years, and one can watch this on YouTube. Uh, Why does he attack Lenin? Uh, Because he regards Lenin as a paid German agent who destroyed the Russian empire, um, who, uh then um in the first uh, soviet russian constitution and the first constitution of the ussr um, put into practice his uh, policy of self-determination of na- nations and of course right the way through the soviet period uh, ukraine had the status of a union republic with the right to secede and in 1945 Ukraine and Belarus were both founder members of the United Nations with their own seats on the Security Council uh, as Union republics. Again, entirely Lenin's fault. Putin considers that Lenin put an atomic bomb anyway under the Soviet Union. And the accusation is that Lenin, all those years ago, created an artificial nation which has no right to exist Uh, namely Ukraine, and created it to be an enemy of Russia. So um, there you see Putin's motivation. I think what is absolutely clear is he didn't consult his own intelligence people. The fact that he believed that uh, there would be a victory, a bloodless victory in a matter of days, uh, as uh, happened in Crimea, um, was... uh, fantasy and delusion and if this is an appropriate place to say it has three huge achievements already uh first of all putin saved nato uh, because nato was in a terrible state actually before the 24th of february last year and he's brought nato back to life it now has two new members As a result of which he will have a very long border with NATO, namely the border with Finland. And there is history between Finland and Russia in any case. Putin's second great achievement was to save Zelensky, who was at the nadir of unpopularity in February, not having carried out his policy, his uh, stated policy of tackling corruption. and so Zelensky uh, became a hero, thanks to Putin. And the third great achievement of Putin is to turn Ukraine into a nation. And now nobody wants to speak Russian in Ukraine. That is Putin's third great achievement.
0: So there you go. But it's an imperialist war. So you don't agree with uh, Moscow that Ukraine has no right to exist? You would dispute that? No. I mean, the history- so it does is- exist,
1: doesn't it? I mean. And I th- I think actually Lenin, so what P- Putin was attacking was Lenin's policy of self-determination of nations.
0: Right.
1: And of course Lenin's policy was put into practice in uh, 1919 with independence for Finland, independence for Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania, independence for Poland. And the last big fight between Lenin and Stalin, who probably murdered Lenin, was over Georgia. Um, and of course Putin reveres Stalin as a great Tsar because under Stalin, the Russian empire breached its greatest extent with half of Germany, uh, most of Eastern Europe, uh, not Finland, because of course the Soviet Union lost the war with Finland in 1939. But um, uh, that's the reason that um, uh, Stalin is revered, but not a Soviet Union at all. Uh, Putin regards the Soviet Union as having been a monumental
0: aberration, again, all the faults of Lenin. The invasion is also surely connected to this very extreme authoritarian turn in Russia itself towards an extreme nationalism. Uh, how do you see that? What's the relationship between this uh, this anti-democratic shift that's taken place in the last decade or so in Russia and this invasion? Is it is it is it a sort of a diversion from what's going on in Russia or part of what's going on in Russia?
1: Well, I would say that this has been very much uh, Putin's trajectory. Okay. And of course, uh, in the first few years um he was in many ways a reformer that's if you lead leave aside the extraordinary uh bloody russian war in colonial war in chechnya and 2003 uh with the arrest of Mikhail Khodorkovsky, uh, the smashing up of the yugos oil firm um putin saying he wishes to liquidate the oligarchs as a class, echoing Stalin, and then, of course, the foreign agent's law from 2012 onwards, when Putin came back after the relatively liberal Medvedev period, um, it's been a complete crackdown. And just to illustrate this, um, my parents-in-law are still living in the Moscow suburbs, they're pensioners, uh, impossible for them to get out. Uh, though they would dearly love to. They are among millions of people who hate and detest the regime. But they used to have an independent radio station to listen to, Radio Arkham Echo Moskvi, independent television, TV Doge, which is now broadcasting uh, from the Baltics, but you can't watch it anymore in Russia, and Novo Gazeta uh, coming out three times a week. That, all of that has been closed. All you have now in Russia is state propaganda. And the extraordinary thing is, uh, going back to your question, that the justification for the special military operation in Ukraine is denazification and demilitarization. When uh, Zelensky is not only Jewish, um, Israel reckons, recognizes him as the Jew of the Year, according to the Jerusalem Post. And, of course, his grandfather was murdered in the Holocaust. And, of course, there are not fascists in um, Ukraine, but also a lot of fascists in Russia. And the last chapter in my uh, second book about Russia uh, shows very clearly that the ideology of Putin and the circle around him is the ideology of Carl Schmitt, uh, the Nazi crown jurist. And this is what they mean by sovereignty. Um, And this is why sovereign democracy in Russia uh, means something at least as bad as and probably worse than Tsarist autocracy.
0: Okay, thanks for that. Now, the the invasion has caused a lot of uh, division amongst people on the left, what you might call the anti-imperialist left. Some say it's a proxy of war and we shouldn't get involved and take sides. Uh, Others side openly with Moscow. Some blame NATO provoking Russia. Others call for peace, but not Russia's withdrawal from Ukraine. And this is an historic, you know, division, almost like 1914 and, you know, the outbreak of First World War and the division, it seems to me, uh, that took place in the Labour trade union movement at that time. What do you make of this? Well, I make of it is that, um,
1: of course, <clears throat> first of all, there are people on the left, in particular, the people who were around um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, was well, Salah Andrew Murray. Uh, and, and Seamus Milne who are um standless of course and um it, this is uh, these are people for whom Russia is still the Soviet Union which you have to defend at all costs and when they say imperialism what they mean is not Putin's imperialism of course but American imperialism and but my opinion is that America is not the almighty power, which it maybe once was. I think, um, for example, in the United States at the present time, there is effectively the second civil war taking place uh, between the Trump states and the uh, Democrat states. Um, I would say the United States is politically in a terrible state. And then I think the United States had its worst defeat since Vietnam in Syria, where, Trump threw the Kurds under a bus, who'd been doing all the heavy lifting against Daesh with the support of the Americans. There are now two powers in Syria that mean anything at all, um, which is uh, uh, Turkey and Russia, with the support of Iran and Hezbollah. So I would say, the, well, Chamber Mao said the United States is a paper tiger quite a long time ago. But it definitely, I would say, is a paper tiger. And so these are people who um, cannot, who are nostalgic for the certainties in their minds of the Cold War, uh, who want to paint things in those kind of uh, colours today. And I have no doubt whatsoever that Marx and Engels would uh, have opposed the war in the strongest possible terms. And um, can I add, this is not because I think Ukraine is some paradise at all. And I, I've been working in Russia since 1983 and in Ukraine since 1992. And the first 10 years in Ukraine were working, well, I'm still working with them, with the Crimean Tatars, uh, whose genocide was not recognized by Ukraine until after the Russian invasion last year. Who suffered serious discrimination from the Ukrainians. And the Ukrainians, it's a very, very corrupt country, of course, as we know. I mean, the difference between Ukraine and Russia, though, is that in Russia, you have a kleptocracy of the secret police, uh, whereas in Ukraine, you have a kleptocracy of oligarchs who fight each other. And of course, in Russia, Uh, There are no free elections of any description. You know exactly who's going to win the elections. In Ukraine, you can be taken completely by surprise, as with uh, Zelensky and the servants of the people. And Ukrainians, um, I have to say, I mean, over many years, uh, there are great people there. But there are some very bad parts of uh, Ukrainian history. And there's plenty of uh, racist uh, discrimination, uh, as I discovered with the Crimean Tartus. But that is not the issue. The issue is that Ukraine was a union republic, thanks to Lenin, with the right to secede. It did become independent in 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed. It has been an independent state, um, Ever since, and as I said already, was a founder member of the United Nations as a Union Republic, as a state. Um, The Ukrainian language is now uh, the language that everybody speaks in Ukraine for obvious reasons. And um, there it is. So I would say that uh, what we have here is aggression, a crime. This is one of the worst crimes against a independent state. So uh, in my mind, uh, when I come up against these uh, so-called anti-imperialists, which I do quite often, uh, in my own organization, the European Lawyers for Democracy and Human Rights, we have real problems in Greece and in Italy. Uh, But uh, the problems are with people who live in a kind of uh, Stalinist past. And I think they're the same people in, in Britain and
0: in the United States. Finally, what do you think is at stake here? We're going into the second year of this war, the invasion. What's at stake for the Socialist and Workers' Movement uh, as we we go into 2023? Well, I think for the (coughs) Socialist and Workers' Movement, what we have in Britain
1: and throughout Europe is the class struggle which never went away uh, today, of all days, February the 1st, it's not a general strike, but uh, it is practically the whole of the uh, public sector, uh, including me, um, out on strike. And I'm going to be on strike for 18 days in the next uh, two months. So I'll lose half my pay, of course. And this is, and you see the class struggle in the United States. So I think the primary factor is that the class struggle never went away and we're going to see it all over the world. And what we have with the war is a matter of principle. Uh, you know, and uh, as I say, going back to Marx and Engels, they would have had no hesitation whatsoever in saying um, that as a matter of principle, whatever we think of Ukrainian Ukrainians, we support Ukraine. Hey, thanks for that, Bill. Is any final thoughts that you have? Bring no, this to- I, I, like, final thought is that, <clears throat> of course, um, there is resistance all over Russia, and there was massive resistance a month or so ago by mothers in the ethnic republics, particularly Dagestan, because it's the kids from the ethnic republics who are being sent to die in Ukraine, but not the kids of the elite, of course. And I, I would say that Putin, through his policies, is putting the future of the Russian Federation in doubt and really this is the the great danger i think from i I think he's even aware of this there's another side to it which thousands and thousands of young people have been arrested beaten up and imprisoned Mm -hmm. many of whom are anarchists and there's a history of that in russia as well and if i was uh, in putin's circle i would be very scared about a military coup because the military Look at the way generals have been replaced one after another, Yeah, shot and a colonel shot. So there might be a military coup. And of course, I think Putin is petrified of young anarchists, um, of course. And uh, thirdly, as I already said, the breakup of the Russian Federation. Um, the Soviet Union broke up in 1991. And uh, I'm very conscious of 5 million Tatars in Russia, uh, 3 million in Tatarstan, uh, the Buryats next to Mongolia, cetera, and of course the North Caucasus. And we know that there are Chechens fighting against Russia, many many of them, and there's Kadira's private army fighting for Russia in Ukraine. And we have, uh, mustn't uh, finish without mentioning, Prigozhin, and the Wagner group, who are mercenaries, and you have convicted murderers and rapists recruited to fight for Russia in Ukraine, and they've been doing the heavy fighting, of course, in Bakhmut and Solodar. And neither Kadyrov nor Prigozhin are under the control of uh, uh, Putin or of the Russian army. So I think dangers for the future of the Russian Federation.
0: No, I think so, too. All right, Bill, thanks very much for talking to us. To find out more about the RDM, visit realdemocracymovement.org. Thanks.